Welcome to episode 96 of the TruthQuest podcast, the truth about socialism in America. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as socialism in America, lessons learned from the coronavirus crisis, price gouging, Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or secession come up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. Episodes are available on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Spotify, podbean.com, and ThinkSpot. The video version of the podcast are available on YouTube, bitshoot.com, and brighteon.com. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a minute to scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. All donations will be used to drive awareness of the podcast through Facebook and Twitter advertising. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. And finally, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. As I discussed in episodes 31 and 32, the truth about socialism, socialism has a 100% failure rate. It's marked by economic disaster as it rewards sloth and penalizes diligence and hard work. It destroys private property. It's an immoral ideology as it plays on the worst instincts of mankind. Envy, jealousy, greed, resentment, redistribution of wealth, promises of free stuff, forcibly taking from one and giving to another. It destroys the profit motive, kills the incentive system. The opposite, of course, is what free market capitalism offers. Independence, self-reliance, self-improvement, and voluntary, key word here, voluntary exchanges. Keep that word in mind as we walk through this episode. As you will notice, if you study any socialistic society, the elite classes always end up living high on the hog while everyone else splits up the leftovers. And the latest craze is democratic socialism. It's nothing more than tyranny of the majority. Minorities be damned under this system. Listen to episode 80, The Truth About Democracies, for more on how that turns out. In episode 32, I pose a series of questions for cheerleaders of socialism, such as, if socialism is so great, why do you have to force it on people? Or, what happens when government has complete control of anything? Or, can you explain how socialism was incorrectly practiced in Venezuela, Cuba, China, the Soviet Union, East Germany, maybe Poland? Can you explain why it failed in Romania, Hungary, and why it's failing in North Korea? I also asked the question, do you really trust a bureaucrat in Washington more than yourself or your own community and or state leaders? Or can you name a nation that employs extensive interventionism and big government policies that is outperforming a similar nation with free markets and small government? All these questions point to the 100% failure rate of socialism And it leaves you wondering why anyone would be an advocate for such a terrible and destructive political system. In today's episode, we're not going to talk about the failed political ideology known as socialism, because we don't have definitional socialism in America, where the government owns the means of production. But we sure as hell have a bunch of socialistic tendencies, leanings, agencies, and programs. That's where we're going to focus today. We're going to examine those tendencies, those leanings, the agencies and programs, and see just how far towards socialism America currently leans. President Trump once said, America will never be a socialist country. But in many, many, many ways, we already are. 
Now, broadly speaking, socialistic simply means centralization or collectivism. Anything that is one-size-fits-all is socialistic. Anything that restricts or interferes with the free market capitalistic system is, by definition, socialistic. Think about how decisions are made in America. Are they made in a decentralized manner at the state level or the local level, or more of a centralized manner, like at the national level? The former is what is known as federalism, the system in which the United States was founded. The latter is socialistic. Another characteristic of socialism, or uh, in this case, socialistic, is it's always forced. It's never voluntary, or force is used if you don't comply. Think about socialized medicine. Obamacare, forced. Social Security, forced. Medicare, Medicaid, forced mandatory charity. Socialistic policies limit freedom. Isn't that reason enough to oppose it? Do you prefer a coercive government or one that leaves you alone? Don't we want a free society? After all, freedom is good. Freedom is morally right, and it produces positive results. Why would you want to interject an entity with a 100% failure rate, one that is too big to succeed, into the mix? Unless, unless, of course, the advocate thinks that they will be the one sitting on top of the power mountain at the end of the day. All they need to do is convince enough of us to go along with their plan, which is where the envy and jealousy that is at the heart of socialism comes in. It's like the deep sea fisherman. He puts a line on the water, then throws the bait overboard, fish parts, guts, and blood, hoping to attract a shark. The bait, in my analogy, the guts and blood, is the envy, the jealousy, the rich, the 1%, Jeff Bezos, all of that rhetoric. And unfortunately, many of us take the bait. It's actually quite sinister when you think about it. As we dig into the meat of this episode, I want to give credit to Jacob Hornberger for much of what is presented here. He is the founder and president of the Future of Freedom Foundation and currently running for the Libertarian Party's presidential nomination. As Hornberger argues, America already is socialistic. He explains, think about, quote, welfare, social security, subsidies, loan guarantees, foreign aid, municipal golf courses, public parks, public schools, and education grants. They are all the embodiment of a socialistic philosophy of using the coercive force of government to take from those who have and redistributing it to those who need, end quote. Think about this at the base level. Let's just get down to the foundation. And what do you see? You see a struggle between two ideologies, one based on freedom and one based on the perception of giving. The givers are so benevolent as they give of other people's money to other people. But how did they get the money to begin with? They forcibly took it from someone. We never talk about that side of the equation. It's free stuff versus work for stuff. Check out episode 57, The Truth About Free Stuff, for more on this. Under this ideological struggle, who's going to win? The perceived giver or the perceived taker? Well, givers always have the advantage, which is why we as a country are always moving in that socialistic direction. Any mention of limiting the perceived giving is opposed with venom. Can you name one federal agency that has been abolished in the last hundred years? Can you name one federal agency that has had its budget cut in the last 50? Of course not. You can't take away from the perceived givers. Do you remember what happened when President Bush and Congressman Paul Ryan proposed saving Social Security with legislation to partially privatize it? 
the National Democrats went on a search-and-destroy mission, scorched earth, throw Granny off the cliff. They assassinated the character of anyone who supported such a wicked policy. So, no one in D.C. ever seriously proposes cuts in anything. So let's examine American public policy through this socialistic lens. Let's start with the low-hanging fruit, Social Security. This is clearly a socialistic program, if we've ever seen one. It's right there in the name, Social Security. I published an entire episode on this topic. Check out episode 8. In that episode, I explained how the program is nothing more than a government-sanctioned intergenerational Ponzi scheme. But I did not make the connection to its socialistic nature. So how can I say Social Security is socialistic? Because the government forces us to invest a portion of our earnings in government-approved investment accounts. Wait a minute, scratch that, because there ain't any investment accounts. There's no lockbox or general ledger with your name on it that has the money that you contributed to the Ponzi scheme. It simply doesn't exist. So we have no choice. We have no freedom. By definition, the limiting of choice and freedom is socialistic. Social Security is mandatory charity. In a free society, charity is voluntary. Voluntary equals freedom. Voluntary equals choice. For the same reason as Social Security, the entire welfare state is socialistic. Again, it's mandatory charity. No choice, no freedom. No freedom of choice. Forcibly taken from one and giving to another is socialistic. America's education system is socialistic. Think about it. We are talking about a largely one-size-fits-all, top-down system where the local schools are dependent on the states for funds who are in turn dependent on the feds. All these funds come with strings attached, which include the curriculum, the food, the discipline, the sports, the before and after school programming, the standardized testing. I mean, the list goes on and on. If you stray from the 3x5 card of allowable opinion, such as charter schools or homeschooling, you get demonized. You get legislative resistance at all levels. Heaven forbid you care about your kids enough to remove them from the government's failed public school system. Oh, and lest we forget the billions of federal dollars doled out for federal Pell Grants and federally subsidized student loans rather than private lenders and charity. When you hear the word federal, think socialistic. America's economic system is socialistic. What have you been led to believe by the mainstream media, your teachers, your professors? America is a free market capitalist economy, right? And then they point out all the failures of the free market and offer socialistic solutions. Capitalism is all about greed. It's selfish. It's a zero-sum game. It exploits workers. It's immoral. It's based on competition rather than cooperation. Giant corporations have too much power. Billionaires are the scourge of the earth. On and on and on it goes. That has been the playbook of the progressive movement for well over 100 years. It's now the playbook of the National Democratic Party. And let's be honest, they're winning, hands down winning. By the way, I tackle each of these claims in episode 83, The Truth About Capitalism. So, first of all, the American economic system is not, I repeat, is not a free market capitalistic economy. How can it be when industries are stifled by governments at all levels by regulations? While the governments may not own the means of production, they sure do regulate the hell out of them. When you regulate, you limit freedom. And as we have discussed, limiting freedom is socialistic. How can someone claim we have a free market when you have governments at all levels, not only regulating businesses, but forcibly taking money from some and redistributing it to others? 
How can you describe an economy based on mass confiscation of income and wealth by the Internal Revenue Service as a free market? How can you call an economy where the federal government socializes the losses of corporations a free market? For crying out loud, the United States is now referred to as bailout nation. Does that sound free marketish to you? How long until we socialize the gains? After all, the National Democrats like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders will rightly claim, hey, if we are bailing out these companies, we should get paid back. And since we are bailing them out, we should be able to put a few government cronies on their board of directors. Hell, how long until the Federal Reserve starts buying equities, i.e. stocks, in industries and companies that get bailed out? As we will discuss in a minute, the Fed has already devised a plan to do just that with something called special purpose vehicles. As I said in episode 83, in order to have capitalism, we need a smaller government, more liberty, lower taxes, and less government regulation. My retort to anyone who blames capitalism for our problems is to ask, where is capitalism being practiced? How can they blame capitalism when we don't have it? I'm not saying free market capitalism is the best economic model. I'm saying it's the best mankind has ever devised. We should probably give it a try. America's monetary system is socialistic. The Federal Reserve is socialistic. How can I make such a claim? Because the Fed is the United States' central bank. It's right there in the name, central bank. Centralization equals socialistic. In addition to that, all the characteristics I discussed at the beginning of the episode that identify a socialistic agency are front and center with the Fed. It's a centrally planned and centrally managed system run by the federal government. From the, its beginning in 1913, its job has been to print up ever-increasing quantities of paper money to enable the federal government to fund the ever-increasing expenditures of the socialistic policies and programs. Longtime congressman, presidential candidate, and general thorn in the side of the establishment, Ron Paul, puts it this way, quote, The essence of socialist economics is government allocation of resources, either by seizing direct control of the means of production or by setting the prices business can charge. The Federal Reserve manipulation of interest rates is an attempt to set the price of money, end quote. So the idea of the policy of a centralized entity determining the price of anything, rather than millions and billions of individual transactions making that determination, is by definition socialistic. It doesn't matter if we are talking about the price of meat, coffee, cars, or credit. If its price is determined centrally rather than decentrally, it is socialistic. When I mentioned the definition of socialism is the government control of the means of production, you have to ask yourself how long until the Fed starts taking ownership stakes in public companies. I mean, their balance sheet has already exploded as they include things like junk bonds and municipal bonds, two things the Fed was never meant to buy. It's only a matter of time that they start buying stocks in order to prop up the stock market. The entire investment arena is a Ponzi scheme. It's such a sad state of affairs that we've gotten to this point. Hell, during the most recent coronavirus crisis, Congress set up what is known as these special purpose vehicles I mentioned earlier, these SPVs. They're financed by the Fed. So these vehicles are essentially used to buy assets that the Fed is not authorized to purchase. So the Fed essentially acts as a banker to the Treasury, which then employs brokerage houses like BlackRock to carry out what will be the effective nationalization of parts of the markets. And there you go, the government ownership of the means of production. We're no longer talking about socialistic. We're talking about full-blown socialism. Listen to episodes 27 and 28 for a deep dive into the Federal Reserve. America's healthcare system is socialistic. As Hornberger puts it, 
quote, the U.S. healthcare system is based on a core feature of socialism, central planning, control, regulation, and management. That's what the FDA and the Center for Disease Control are all about, end quote. That's what certificates of need are all about. That's what regulations on medical devices and occupational licensing is all about, to manipulate the free market in healthcare. Manipulation of the free market, whether it be interest rate manipulation by the Federal Reserve or the numerous parts of the healthcare industry, is by definition socialistic. Then you have the two massive socialistic programs, Medicare and Medicaid, both of which are responsible for the never-ending healthcare crisis with ongoing, ever-increasing healthcare costs that have bankrupted people or sent them into deep debt. Medicare and Medicaid are based solely on the federal government's forcibly taking money through the IRS from some of us and using it to provide health care to seniors and the poor. That is the essence of the socialistic policy of coercive redistribution of wealth. Force, coercion, taking, etc. are all freedom-limiting and therefore by definition socialistic. Hornberger explains that prior to America's socialistic health care system, our nation had the finest health care system in the world. He explains prices were so low, stable, and predictable that you didn't even need major medical insurance. Doctors and hospitals provided free medical care to the poor on a voluntary basis. Medical innovations, inventions, and treatments and cures were plentiful. If you want to learn more about the topic of healthcare in America, check out episode 9. One final thought. You know the Medicare for All proposal by National Democrats? Which, by the way, I'm confused why we even need it since we have the great Obamacare. But anyways, Medicare for all is, do I need to say it? It's one size fits all. Medicare for all. It's socialized medicine. By its very name and description, it is socialistic. Hell, even the federal government's response to the coronavirus crisis was, or is, depending on when you're listening to this, socialistic. We've got centralized dictates, guidelines, and commandments from Washington, D.C., We've got power struggles between governors and the feds. We've got helicopter money printed out of thin air, dropped on the American people. And we've got bailouts for entire industries. All of that is the epitome of a socialistic response. Okay, okay, so you may be thinking, all of that is well and good, but what the hell do you want to do about it? What could be done about it? Enough pointing out the obvious, enough bitching and moaning. What are your solutions? So when you start thinking about how to solve this problem, that is, if you even think it is a problem, the idea is very simple, but the implementation is far from it. We need to focus on maximizing freedom, which, as I've said, is the opposite of socialism. How about we try independence, self-reliance, self-improvement, and the spirit of voluntary charity? Can we try a free market economic system or a less centralized, more decentralized free market economic system? Under a system like that, everyone keeps everything they earn, 100%. You know what happens next? Everyone saves lots of money. The income taxation is abolished, as is the IRS. And federal spending gets cut to the bone, leaving the private sector to pick up the slack in a more efficient, less fraudulent, less wasteful, less abusive manner. It's a system based on 100% voluntary charity. This was America's founding economic system for more than 100 years, which produced the wealthiest and most charitable society in history. Can we try a free market healthcare system? What this looks like is best articulated by Hornberger, quote, a total free market in healthcare, meaning that the entire 
healthcare arena would be free from government involvement, interference, control, mandatory charity, licensing, and coercive redistribution of wealth, end quote. The private sector and the free market would be entirely responsible for healthcare. No more having to get permission from the federal bureaucrats to produce test kits like we're seeing in the coronavirus crisis. No more waiting on the feds for anything because they will play no role whatsoever in healthcare. A total separation of healthcare and the state. This was the way American system worked for more than 100 years. The result was the finest healthcare system in history, one in which healthcare costs were affordable, in which doctors and hospitals treated the poor for free on a voluntary basis, like I mentioned before. Hornberger continues, quote, A free market system produces the best of everything. In contrast to the socialistic system, based on central planning, which is limited to the expertise of the government planners and the planning agencies, the free market takes advantage of the knowledge and expertise of countless individuals, including entrepreneurs, each of whom is coordinating his efforts with others that always reaches fantastic results that no central planner, in all his wisdom, could ever conceive. In a free market, people are free to make rapid adjustments without governmental permission or interference. End quote. Can we try a free market monetary system? Under this system, the free market determines the currency that is going to be used. No more Federal Reserve notes. No more worthless paper fiat currency. No more printing of money. For more than 100 years, America had the finest monetary system in history, one based on gold and silver coins. A free market monetary system would improve upon that concept. Would you rather have millions or billions of people transacting and determine the interest rates, or a handful of central bankers? Listen to episode 62, The Truth About the Gold Standard and Sound Money, if you're interested in that topic. Can we try a limited government republic with a small, basic military force? Can we stop being the world's policemen? Can we close some of our military bases in foreign countries? Can we stop intervening overseas in every corner of the planet? Can we stop the sanctions, the embargoes, the tariffs, the invasions, the occupations, the wars of aggression, the torture, the state-sponsored assassinations, the not-so-secret mass surveillance state? So to wrap up this episode... Imagine in your mind a spectrum with free market capitalism on one end and socialism or communism on the other. Nations like Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, Switzerland, and Australia reside on one end, and Venezuela, Cuba, the former Soviet Union, China, India, and North Korea reside on the other. When you consider life in America, social security, the welfare state, the education system, the economic and monetary system, the healthcare system, where on that spectrum do you think America falls? After you answer that question, ask yourself another one. Would we be better off closer to Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, or Venezuela and Cuba? Do you want to live in a country with more or less socialistic tendencies, leanings, agencies, and programs? If you're looking for an easy-to-read reference guide to have on your desk or bookshelf that covers many of the topics tackled here on the TruthQuest podcast, Grab a copy of my book, Critical Thinking, spelled with a P like Peter. The subtitle is The Lost Art of Critical Thinking and Common Sense in Politics and Public Policy. In it, I tackle dozens of public policy issues from a logical and pragmatic perspective. It's available on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. See this episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com for more information. And as always, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.